The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debate. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Soraya Correa. She is the Chief Procurement Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. I've known you for a long time, Soraya. Yes, you uh, so Back in GSA, exactly. uh, we went to FEI together. Um, uh, don't tell any stories about that on the radio okay, show, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, today we're here to talk about all things DHS in terms of procurement, and I'm just going to open it up. And uh, first of all, thank you for being on the show. Oh, we appreciate it. Thank you for it. having me. Um, and so let's the state of procurement at DHS. How are things going? Well, we're busy, very, very busy, uh, but we're doing well. You know, uh, we have a great workforce, a very talented workforce, and we continue to attract attract a great workforce uh, through our Acquisition Professionals Career Program or our APCP program, which is our intern program. We continue to draw in great talent, and that's very fortunate because we're, we're extremely busy right now. As you know, the shutdown slowed us down a little bit. Um, but we're coming up on the fourth quarter, and I'm highly encouraged by the work that I'm seeing and how well we're moving our procurements along. So, uh, it's a tough job, but we're getting it done. Can you t- talk a little bit more about the you know your, the program for sure. your interns and what that all entails? I think people will be interested in hearing about that. Sure. So our Acquisition Professionals Career Program, or APCP program, is a three-year program. It's basically an intern program modeled after some of the best intern programs in government where we focus on bringing in acquisition professionals. So we include include 10 career series, including contract specialists, program managers, logisticians, test and evaluation managers, and so on. And it's a three-year program where folks rotate through at least one or two components over the three-year period, and they get on-the-job training as well as classroom training. We bring them in as cohorts, in, in a cohort. They work for me for those first three years, and then once they graduate from the program, they're assigned to a component. And our goal through the Acquisition Professional Career Program is really to develop the acquisition professionals of DHS and hopefully our long-term workforce for DHS. I do. And the people in that, I mean, I think that that sounds great in terms of get a wide variety of experiences across your organization and DHS as a whole. Do they have? Do they get some input on where they'd like to work? Does oh, yeah. it work that way? How yeah, does that they, work? They, get, so. they they have an opportunity through the interview process. They learn about the department and all the different components at the department and all the opportunities that are available. And what's really nice about the program is by getting that rotational assignment, that ability to see other components, they can pick and choose. And of course, once they graduate from the program. They can actually work in any component they like because they're free to apply for positions uh, once they come in. Um, What's really nice about the program is that we are taking you through that three-year training evolution. You come out of it certified at least at the level two. And what happens is after that, you can continue your education and you can go work in any element of DHS, including career changes. We've seen some of our APCPs who've graduated from, say, the contracting profession go sure. into program management down the pike. So really? it's really exciting. Well, and, like you get those 
you know, get that combination in somebody, a program manager knows procurement or vice versa. That's like, that's a win-win-win for well, everybody, right? you know right? I'm an advocate of that because uh, yeah, I have a little absolutely. bit of that. But, yes, uh, absolutely. But, but what career. I really like about the program is that opportunity to bring folks that become immersed in the DHS mission and really understand the goals, the objectives of all the the mission space at DHS. So we're really excited about the program because we just continue to get great talent. In fact, uh, we're doing some work with VA. We're going to segment off a, a few positions for the Warrior to Work program, working with the VA to bring in some veterans. Yeah, excellent. To work That's program. outstanding. So I was very excited. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things, listening to you describe the program, is is another benefit of it as, you know, you know D, DHS is a unique entity. You know, all the different I don't know how many different, uh, you know, parts of pieces of government mm-hmm. combined into one organization with different cultures over the years. We've had these conversations sure. before, right, and trying to get it together. Do you see one of the benefits of the the intern program where they're working for you for a period of time, going as a cohort, mm-hmm. learning about the organization as a whole, that it kind of helps create that, you know, uniformity of effort? Yes, and. Does. Um, teamwork and also understanding and create a, a single culture for the yeah, that organization. Unity of mission. Yes, it, it that's really, the word I'm yeah, looking for. Yeah, that right. unity of effort is what we call it. Um, I, I think that what happens with the APCP program is because they're coming in and they're learning all about DHS, not just one particular component. It gives them that ability to really understand the overarching mission of DHS and how the unique components fit into the overall DHS mission. And I do think it helps to create a new culture, a new way of thinking. Uh, one of the things that I've tried to do through the APCP program is make sure that they have the opportunity to shadow me and to hear from me directly on my views on talking with industry, working with industry, innovation and creativity, and how we can move the ball forward, how we can improve on procurement processes. So I'm very excited by the program, and I'm always energized by the folks yeah. that are in the program. That's uh, that's great. And it is, it's, in, it's interesting. I do, I do find when people just even – for people just entering the workforce, just going to the meetings and just shadowing people and listening and watching how, you know, executives and and others and just engage and have the conversation or conduct business, in and of that just observation, that's just a huge learning experience, uh, in and of itself. That when they think about when they're doing, like what did they see, right, and mirror that. And it helps them develop from a leadership standpoint. It starts to help them develop those leadership skills that they're going to need down the pike. Uh, Because I've long held that we do a great job of providing technical training and talent to our acquisition workforce. But I think being a leader in the procurement field or in the acquisition fields does require a a few unique uh, skill sets. And so I think it's good for them to observe those early in their career and start thinking about how am I going to develop those kinds of skills? How am I going to engage in that way? Yeah. So um, very good stuff. Is there then go to go to the, your website to learn more about sure. the program? Yeah. If you go to our website, you can learn more about our program and we put out periodic job announcements. So we're always recruiting for the APCP program. We try to bring folks in in cohorts throughout the year. On average, the average class is about 40 individuals. Or what wow. We call a cohort is really? about 40 individuals That's impressive. at a time. So typically when we're graduating folks, we're graduating classes of about 40. Uh, recently here we graduate a much larger class because we got delayed on the graduations. Um, but it's very exciting, and we get great speakers at our graduation. They get to bring their family for the graduation. And for me, it's just an honor and a privilege to graduate these folks and to have them come into the workforce. I'm very excited about the program always. Great, great stuff. Uh, so um, 
that's a lot on the workforce. Let's talk about some of the, the, the direction you guys are going with regard to procurement. And one of the things I think industry has noticed, I know, you know, at the coalition, our members have, you know, acknowledged and are excited about is uh, you're looking to use some pre-existing contract vehicles um, as an overall strategy. You know, I think it's probably part of category. I'm waiting to hear for you say part of category management, all that sort of thing to leverage what's already in place um, as a strategy as opposed to you know, creating some of your own vehicles. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's fair to say. In fact, uh, specifically, uh, a lot of folks were questioning, you know, what were we going to do with Eagle 2? In other words, were we going to compete, recompete and have an Eagle 3? And we took a very close look at what our requirements are from a CIO community perspective. What are the existing vehicles that are out there? Uh, not only the best-in-class vehicles, but the government-wide contracts that have existed forever, even before uh, we started designating them as best-in-class. And we looked at what are our unique needs. And what we determined was that it didn't make a lot of sense to recompete Eagle, to do another Eagle 3, because Eagle 3 is pretty generic and very similar to an Alliant or a sure. CIO SP3. Mm-hmm. So what we decided to do was create a portfolio of contracts where we looked at the contracts to make sure that they could meet our, our agency-specific needs, to make sure that they were the right vehicles for us. We designated which contracts would fall into what we call our next-generation Eagle portfolio. So it's literally Eagle Next Gen, and it's a portfolio of contracts where we've pre-approved and said you can use these contracts. And then to that portfolio, we will add any unique agency vehicles that we might need. So if we make a determination that we want to write some unique vehicles for cloud migration or for um, agile software development because of our unique needs, because of our legacy systems, those would be added to that portfolio as a pre-approved set of vehicles that our components can use. So that's where we're going. Um, It makes perfect sense. It's about efficiency. It's about effectiveness. It's about reducing the administrative burden and hopefully getting us to these procurements a little bit faster to deliver on mission capability a little bit faster. So in in that portfolio, presumably there's a mix of, you know, because there's the ITGUX that are focused on different categories of small businesses. (laughs) There's other vehicles as well that are focused, like whether it's NASA Soup or you know, the CIOSB3 contracts as well? Yeah, as you probably know, DHS is at the forefront of small business. Right. You know, 10 A's in a row. We're very excited about our small business program. And our goal is I always— I wish I got 10 A's in a row when I, I was know, in school, I know, I never right? even yeah. got 10 A's in a row in school. I said the same thing. We know we didn't get it in our class. No, just kidding. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but we're very excited. You promised excited. we weren't going to talk about that, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but we're very excited about our small business program and our ability to meet and exceed the goals each year, not just because of meeting and exceeding the goals, but because it is good business to do business with small businesses. And so when we looked at these vehicles, we made sure that there was a good cross-section of vehicles that would enable us to address all the categories of small business. And when we look at our agency-unique vehicles, we're certainly going to be looking at the small business community as well as all the other communities that are out there to enable us to achieve our mission objectives. Right. And Soraya, we're we're up on the first break. That goes really fast, doesn't it? Yes, um, it does. So, um, so when we come back, we'll continue our discussion a little bit about your your overall direction and touch maybe a little bit more on the small business and what you guys have done. This great track record. And my guest today is Soraya Correa. She is the Chief Procurement Officer for the Department of Homeland Security. I am Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on the Federal News Network. 
Welcome back to Off the Shelf on the Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron, and my guest today is Soraya Correa. She is the Chief Procurement Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. And uh, we're talking about all things, obviously, procurement DHS. And um, Soraya, in uh, last segment, we talked a, f- a fair amount at the end about, uh, in particular, your shift in strategies and you know creating portfolios of contract vehicles rather than a single contract vehicle, at least in the case of, you know, Eagle versus the Eagle portfolio now. That in shift, you know, doing something like that, that's, you know, it's the shift internally, culturally. I'd like to hear a little bit about that. But also just the, the, the executing that, communicating to your industry partners about that and that engagement. And I know that's an area you focus on a lot. So, Maybe you can talk a little about the how the shift internally and what you had to communicate, and then talk a little bit about you know the outreach to industry and your strategies and what you guys do there. Sure. So first of all, uh, we worked with our CIO community, so they were very well aware of the shift that we were making because this decision was made jointly between our procurement community and our CIO community. But we went out with numerous notifications to our staff. We're doing training. We continue to do training to update our staff on what we're doing with the the Eagle uh, Next Generation portfolio. And then we went out and talked to industry. First, we notified the Eagle vendors, the vendors that currently hold the Eagle contracts. We made sure we made notification to them so that they would be aware of it. Then we went out publicly to everyone to say what we were doing. And then I've been out on the speaking circuit along with folks from my strategic sourcing program office as well as from our IT office going out and making sure that we're telling everyone what we're doing and how we're going to work under these portfolios. And here's the key. The whole idea behind the portfolio approach is to create greater flexibility to provide more options for our CIO community to achieve their objectives and to promote, if you will, less burden on the contracting office. Let them focus on getting things awarded a little bit quicker by using these vehicles, using these existing vehicles, and making sure that we're getting the job done right. And that leads me to our procurement innovation lab, uh, which is one of the things. I that knew I've been we would. Yeah, we absolutely you after this show we have to away. talk about the procurement in, in, <laughs> innovation lab. Yep, because it is all about business process improvement. You know, one of the things that you constantly hear across government, and you hear it from industry periodically, is that our procurements move a little too slow. And having been on the program side and worked on the procurement side, I hear that, I understand that, and I know what that means. And I know that part of that is the whole compliance process that we have to go through. We've we've built some business processes that sometimes are somewhat tedious and a little too focused on compliance and not focused enough on achieving mission objective. And so I stood up a procurement innovation lab when I became the chief procurement officer, working with a, a small group of people in my office to focus on inviting and encouraging our program managers, and our procurement personnel to think of more effective ways that we can accomplish our business. So from looking at evaluation criteria to existing business processes to how we structure solicitations and even how we communicate and engage with industry, we've come up with a series of processes to simplify the procurement process, to make the evaluation of proposals a little swifter, 
and to minimize the amount or the volume of documentation we receive in those proposals to focus a little bit more on the interaction with industry during the evaluation process. We're really excited about it. We've done about 35 projects. We now have uh, training courses that we share across government that are called Pill Boot Camps, which is a one-day immersive training where we teach some of the techniques that we've adopted. But more importantly, we teach people and encourage people to be innovative and creative in the procurement solutions. Yeah, Soraya, it's interesting. Um, You know, one of the questions I had you are in the, with this. Are you looking at it when you do it? Are you doing primarily trying to innovate and streamline uh, open market procurements, or are you looking at it now strategically because you're going to the portfolio approach and using, although Eagle was a pre-existing contract, mm-hmm. you know, it seems to me the pill lends itself to you know, being very innovative in task order competitions, right? Because FAR, yeah, FAR 15 doesn't apply, yep. right? So, yep. I mean, are you seeing opportunities there? Yes, we are, we are using the pill for everything in terms of, you know, when folks want to come in and try a new technique or a new approach, whether it's a FAR Part 8, Part 12, Part 15, you know, commercial contracts versus yes, negotiated procurements, or whether it's research and development or using some of these other authorities that exist like other transaction authority doesn't matter. The idea behind it is how do we streamline and improve the process? How do we get through that evaluation process as efficiently and effectively as possible to ensure that we have greater confidence in the solutions that we're buying, the companies that we're doing business with? And here's the deal. How do we get our companies in and out of these business processes as quickly as possible because it does cost money to generate proposals. And for new companies that are doing business with the government for the first time, we want them to have a really good experience. But we want them to get in and out of that process, keep them informed throughout the process. So that's what the Procurement Innovation Lab is about. I like to say it's about taking the fear out of procurement. It's about making sure that our workforce out there, and I, we have a brilliant workforce across the Department of Homeland Security, I want to encourage them, I want to motivate them and inspire them to do things better and more efficiently. And the promise that I've made to them is, if you're successful in your innovation, you get to go out and teach everybody what you did because we actually host webinars to share the knowledge. And if you fail, well, that's my responsibility. I take full credit for any failure that happens because I want people to be innovative. And we know that when you're trying to be innovative, sometimes you're going to stub your toe. Sometimes it's not going to go perfectly. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I, and, and I'm just going to follow up on that about you know taking responsibility. One of the things I think, um, and it's to your credit, that you know leadership um, is about you know creating space for people, right? To to exercise their um, judgment, right? And, you know, and it's not going to be perfect every time. That's right. human nature, right? That's just right. the world we live in. That's people. That's right. Um, but if, when people know they have top cover, they're much more willing to, you know, you know, take that chance, right? Try mm-hmm. something different and new. So, um, and that, I mean, it sounds to me like that's something you're trying to, you know, put into your entire management team. That's um, correct. Is that fair? It's, it's a cultural change that I'm trying to drive. I'm trying to say we as leaders have to stand up and let our people tell us how we can do this better. And we have to give them the opportunity, create the space, the environment, give them the support, and also take those lessons learned and share them out. So when we have failed, we've actually gone out and shared lessons learned. And right. we learn from every element, right. every member of the team, including the contractors that win and the contractors that didn't win. We do get feedback from every element of the team on every pill project so that we can share the lessons learned. Right. 
no successful organization or person, you know, they always you fail. You have to. you learn from your failures, exactly. right? And to get ahead. So uh, that's good stuff. Now it's sort of technical question about the pill. Sure. Um, so are you, are you guys using a lot of oral proposal, oral presentations, that sort of thing? We're and, using and how- a combination, yeah. you know, because okay. what we try to do is make sure that the particular program and team uh, that they're bringing forward, that they feel comfortable with the technique that they want to use. But we encourage the use of oral presentations, uh, oral proposals, uh, videos, uh, inexpensive videos like YouTube sure, videos. Sure. Um, uh, we encourage dialogue back and forth during the evaluation process. We encourage consensus evaluations amongst uh, the evaluators, uh, on-the-spot confidence ratings, a lot of different approaches and techniques, but it's whatever that team feels comfortable for that particular requirement. So we're not trying to force-feed an approach. We're saying here are all the techniques that are available. And what we've asked our Procurement Innovation Lab to do is really look at within the four corners of the FAR, because we don't have time to change regulations and rules. That takes time. But look at the four Mm -hmm. corners of FAR, identify every flexibility we've got, and let's go see what we can make happen. Let's let's go see what new sausage we can make. And I think, you know, I've heard, um, I've heard, uh, you know, I was at a Section 809 panel meeting, one of the panelists say, you know, talking to people who deal with the FAR, like really good, you know, had really good contracting officers tell this individual, I can make the FAR sing, Right. You know, there's enough there flexibility-wise that if you're – if you take a look at it or even don't, you know, follow something like, you know, one of the basic things, Part 15 doesn't apply to task order competitions. Exactly. like so, so take advantage of that. You know, it's in the FAR that it doesn't apply. Exactly. Right? So. Yeah, it's, it's all in how you interpret it and the flexibilities, and it's about making it sing and dance. The FAR is not what stops us. What stops us is our own imagination. And, I, and I've always believed that. I've believed that for 38 years that I've been in this business. And, I, and that's what I want to encourage folks to do is to be a little bit more creative because here's the deal. The missions that we serve, the, the communities that we serve, the, the taxpayer, they deserve our very best. And that's what we should be doing. So I'm very passionate about the Procurement Innovation Lab. I'm very excited about the progress that we're making. And what I'm really encouraged by is that OFPP has embraced this concept and we're, we're seeing this getting proliferated throughout government. And this is about good government. This is about encouraging the entire workforce that's out there. Well, Saria, I'll fix that. <laughs> I don't know. Slip of the tongue. I don't know how I did that one. Um, so, Jimmy, you'll have to fix this end of it, and I'll tell you about it. Um, three, two, one. Well, Soraya, we're up on the break. Um, when we come back, we'll continue our discussion about innovation a little bit and then weave some OTA, other transactions, sure. just sort of your thoughts on that. Sure. Uh, my guest today is Soraya Correa. She is the Chief Procurement Officer for the Department of Homeland Security. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on the Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on the Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron, and my guest today is Soraya Correa. She is the Chief Procurement Officer for the Department of Homeland Security. And I've been nervous every time I walk through. Oh, that's a lot of words for me. I, you know, but um, Soraya, um, when we took the break, you were talking about the Procurement Innovation Lab. And I mean, one of the things that stuck with me when, when we talked is just, and just in general experimentation, the idea that giving people, you know, the space to try different things and then, you know, covering them when things, you know, don't work out as way we all hoped, which is, you know, going to happen if you're going to 
take some chances, right, and try some different things. So, exactly. But can you talk a little about the leadership team at uh, the Procurement Innovation Lab sure. and how they've sort of embraced this philosophy and then just how that – from from talking to you, that, that sort of philosophy and that example at the pill – is something that emanates out through your, your, you know, the leadership across the acquisition workforce. Exactly. So, so thank you. It. No, thank you. That's a that's a really important point. That the procurement innovation lab, when I stood it up, it's really just a handful of people uh, led by some of our uh, more talented contracting officers. But they're just a handful of people that really consult with the contract specialists, the program officials, the legal counsels that are involved in a particular project. So at the pill, we don't do the procurement. We help consult and advise on the procurement, and then we survey. We survey throughout the process to see how it's going, and we check in periodically with the team to make sure that if they're hitting any stumbling blocks or they're bumping into any issues, that we're advising and consulting with them. Um, so anyway, so what we're doing with the PIL and the, and the leadership team across DHS is everybody has embraced this concept at different levels depending on you know what projects they're working on. But each organization within DHS, we have nine heads of contracting. Each one has what we call an acquisition innovation advocate. So that's an individual who's working within their organization to identify projects that might be subject to the pill. And in fact, a couple of our components are standing up their own pill, their own procurement innovation lab, which is ideally what I really want. In fact, so they're taking a pill. So right? they're taking a pill uh, and they're, okay. they're making procurement better, right? Okay. And you know that that's how I came up with that acronym. If, uh-huh. pill, you know, if procurement's giving you a headache, take a pill. Right. Anyway, but uh, my point is that I have a couple of uh, heads of contracting who are really starting up their own procurement innovation lab because they see the value of it. They see the value of this, creating this opportunity to innovate, to do things more creatively, to get through some of your own business processes a little bit more efficiently and effectively. And actually, what I've always said about the pill when I stood it up was, if we do our job right, we're going to work our way out of business because you don't need the pill at the headquarters level. You need it in each of the operational components. But I'm really excited about is that we're also working with other federal government agencies. We're going out and sharing our techniques, sharing our approaches with other federal agencies. So we're seeing this adoption of the pill happening across government. And I think that's extremely important because that shows that we're trying to encourage our workforce to be a little bit more innovative. I remember when I first said procurement innovation lab, people laughed at me. They said procurement and innovation, come on, it can't be. Yeah, it can. It can happen. Um, so you mentioned uh, an organization. I just get your, some of your thoughts about it, and, and I can say this because I'm a lawyer, uh, and don't hold that against me. <laughs> um, but I worked in the government, you know, and I did government procurement. You know, it seems to me one of the the most vital things to do in a procurement process is to bring in like that the you know your legal team up front, mm-hmm. part of the overall planning process, making them really be part of the team. And not over here, you know, in a separate sort of, you know, ivory tower or, you know, just by themselves. Right. So is that something that you're focused on too? Yes. In fact, in the Procurement Innovation Lab, when we talk about the procurement team, that does include the legal counsel, the contracting officer, a contract specialist that are assigned, program manager, the COR, small business specialist. We bring anyone who has a say in the procurement process at the t- to the table to be a part of the process. And in fact, on some of our uh, webinars, we've actually had legal counsel present 
uh, some of the training wow, sessions. That's on very some good. Things. We've actually had legal counsel participating in some of our procurement innovation lab boot camps. They've actually attended our training. And here's the thing: you know, it's about respecting every element of the team because they all have their jobs to do. And our legal counsel are really trying to protect the agency. And so, bringing them in as early sure. as possible, helping them understand what the requirement is, what the approach is that we're trying to take, and what we're trying to do helps us stay out of trouble. And what I'm finding is that a lot of these projects that are going through the pill, we're being very successful. We're either not getting protested or if we get protested, we're winning the protest. And those, those, that, what more can you ask for? Uh, but I'm very encouraged about the teamwork, the cooperation. And that, you know, I'm going to add a little something here. Another initiative that I've taken on this year is to try to improve acquisition planning. So I started this process where on procurements over $50 million dollars, I invite in the heads of contracting, the contracting officer, and the entire procurement team to give me a high-level briefing on what the procurement strategy is. My goal there is to let's have a conversation about the strategy before you even put pen to paper. Let's make sure that small business, legal counsel, all of us kind of agree on the general approach you're going to take before you put pen to paper. Because I do believe that when we have these conversations up front – we get better requirements, we come up with better strategies, and then the procurement process flows a little smoother, a little softer. Right, and w- when you do that, that's that, that's really good stuff. When when you when they you know you've come up with a general approach, everybody's on board, and they then you have to flesh it out. Is mm-hmm. then they come back and sort of explain this is what we're going to do. Only if they're making a radical departure on the strategy because one of my philosophies as a leader is I got to let them do their job, right? right? right. And I don't want them to have to come in and check in with me every five minutes or or us checking in with each other. So unless there's a radical change in the approach, like, you know, we're going to go from competition to sole source, something like that, they got to come and talk to me. But generally speaking, once we approve the strategy, you go forth and do dot the I's, cross the T's, um, do your market research. And a lot of times we even talk about what things might change as we're evolving the procurement. But it is about a comprehensive discussion as a team. And I said discussion, not about writing a bunch of documents and tossing them at each other. But by the time we write those documents, we're all in agreement. And hopefully the process goes a lot smoother, a lot faster, and a lot more efficiently, especially the procurement piece. And here's where this is important to industry. In a lot of these discussions that we're having, one of the primary focuses is what do we tell industry? When do we start getting some information out to industry? What are the announcements we're going to make? Should we get industry input? Um, what was our experience when we worked with industry before? And that's extremely important because, as you know, I always emphasize that engagement with industry as early and as often as possible. Yeah, to greater transparency, our understanding between you, know, you as a customer and the folks who are trying to meet your needs, the more likely you're going to have a sound outcome. At sure. the end of the day, and they right? can bring us some great ideas. You know, yeah, when we absolutely. share with them documents. Yeah. Um, you know, they're out there working with other federal agencies and other large entities um, that may have seen the problems or may be dealing with the issues that we're dealing with or have bought the services or products. So they can bring us some really good ideas. So I think it's really exciting when we can do that upfront planning and have that opportunity to engage with industry. And then the the third leg of the stool, which is oversight. Sometimes on some of these procurements, if we're going to do something really risky or something really challenging, we might want to go talk to some of our oversight organizations, whether it's the Hill, the GAO, or the IG, to talk about what we're thinking about doing and maybe get some input from them or at least not surprise them with information. Right, so that's right. the other goal in, in doing this. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's vitally important that within the, in the context of you know your IG or whatever that they really do sort of 
get updates and like understand your sure. business, you know, imperatives, what you're trying to accomplish and how you're trying to do it. Uh, so when they do come take a look at it, they have the, the full context, exactly. right? Sometimes it, to me, back when I was in government, having that, you know, not having that full context, you know, it leads to some unintended consequences from, you know, their view, you know, from their view of how something's going. Exactly. That, that you're trying, you're mitigating by doing sure. that up front. And look, it's all about making us better. It's all yeah. about getting the job done better and more efficiently. So it's about helping them understand what we're doing, why we're doing it, and sometimes even getting their input. They again, they're looking across government, right. so they see things that sometimes we are, we don't even know about. Um, so I think that that is important. I what I try to emphasize is transparency. Good communications, back and forth dialogue, not just us talking to industry or us talking to others, but getting input, getting yeah. that feedback, and not being afraid of some of the criticism that we're bound to take when we try some new things. Right. And Soraya, we're up on the next break. So this is our last break. Right. Uh, when we come back, I want to get your thoughts on OTAs. When we talk about innovation and, and a tool in the toolbox mm-hmm. for the government to, to meet its needs um, and explore you know, potential opportunities for, for new solutions. My guest today is Soraya Correa. She is the Chief Procurement Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on the Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on the Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron, and my guest today is Soraya Correa. She is the Chief procurement officer at the Department of Homeland Security. And we've been talking about uh, all things DHS procurement. We spend a lot of time on innovation, um, um, good stuff about the PIL, the Procurement Innovation Lab at, at uh, DHS, and you know what it's, what it's doing in terms of changing the culture and, and then trying new things. Well, there's another you know, sort of tool in the toolbox that you know, some agencies have or departments and um, and there's been a lot of focus on it over the last couple of years, um, and that's Others Transactions Authority, uh, OTAs. And, um, you know, given your track record of innovation and, you know, driving change, um, this new sort of new tool in the toolbox, I just want to get your thoughts on it and what, what you think about where it's going, what you're seeing, that sort sure. of thing. Sure. So the other transaction authority is an excellent tool to have in the toolkit. Um, we've used it uh, primarily uh, in the science and technology, or re- excuse me, in the science and technology arena. Uh, we've developed several initiatives and programs to use the OTA to bring in those non-traditional uh, contractors that are out there or uh, federal partners, if you will. Um, the other transaction authority is really an instrument. It's really a contractual instrument where you really start with a blank sheet of paper. Unlike the federal acquisition regulation-based contract where you have set rules, here you have the ability to negotiate the terms and conditions of the contract. So that's really all the other transaction authority is. But it gives us great flexibility and enables us to engage with industries, uh, companies that are not normally doing business with the federal government who may not know how to do business with the government. So I'll give you a couple of examples. We stood up our Silicon Valley Innovation Program, and the only thing about Silicon Valley is that we have an office out there. It's really an innovation program across the government where uh, we award work in four tranches or four phases, up to $200,000 each. And we identify areas of technology that we're interested in, 
And then people submit white papers. We look at those white papers. They're peer-reviewed. We select those white papers that we think we're interested in hearing more about. They come in for a 15-minute pitch. At the end of the pitch, we tell them if we're going to uh, fund the, the, the idea or the innovation. And then we award an other transaction agreement. We've awarded some of those in less than five days. So it can go very swiftly. It can go very efficiently. Uh, it's, it's a simpler tool for engaging with industry, and it gives us greater flexibility. We're not trying to take IP rights and things like that. Um, so we're really excited about the other transaction authority. Unfortunately, this year in FY 2019, with all the complications with the budget, our transaction, our other transaction authority did not get renewed. But I know that it's being worked on, and I'm looking forward to getting that back because we have several programs supporting border security, uh, transportation security. Sure. Uh, we have science and technology doing yep. quite a few programs that we're very interested in continuing using the other transaction authority. Yeah, that science and technology part of DHS, I don't think people are really aware of some of the cutting edge like research that DHS does you know, to protect us, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And we look at technology, approaches to implementing the technology, how we use that technology, not only to support the mission, but even integrating it with other technologies that exist today and other programs that are there. So I just wanted to follow up, too, on another um, you know piece of what you said. And, and I think it's vitally important people may, may forget that are contractors, that these are still contracts, yes. right? That's correct. And there are obligations uh, that people need to – so – and understanding how to, uh, you know, what they should be included and, you know, from a government perspective versus, you know, the industry perspective and getting that meeting of minds, um, you know, that's something, too, I think that there's an area there that I think there's opportunities to provide some greater sort of inf- – not necessarily rules around it, but just information to people on training on it and on what things you need to think about. And it's important to remember that the other transaction authority is an instrument or a tool for right. negotiating terms and conditions. You've still got an upfront process that is a solicitation process, whether we're using a broad yes. agency announcement yep. or an RFP or whatever. You're still bringing in proposals or a set of proposals, and it's how you're running that competition that might be a little bit different. But the, the OTA is the instrument or the yep. approach to negotiating the terms and conditions. So, and I also wanted to touch a little bit on. We got about about three or four minutes left, but um, on uh, cyber and supply chain risk. Obviously, that's a big deal at DHS. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what's going on with your perspective? Uh, you know, what are any DHS specific, um, you know, issues that you guys are addressing? So, so we're part of the uh, larger federal-wide task force that is being uh, led by our, our cybersecurity infrastructure uh, security, our cyber infrastructure security agency, agency CISA. Um, we're part of that government-wide effort to come up with the policies, the procedures governing supply chain risk management across the federal space. Because what we're trying to do is make sure that we promote consistency across the federal government. But more specifically to DHS, we have adopted language that we include on several of our contracts to address any cyber incidents that occur. And we work very closely in partnership within DHS across the CIO community because most of a lot of the cyber threats that you see come about in that IT space or in the technology space. But we work very closely with CISA, with our CIO, and across, of course, with the intelligence community to make sure that we have the right information and we're making the right decisions as we're developing our procurement strategies or our acquisition program strategies. Yeah. Do you see, you know, one of the things that you, know, you talk to industry and even just, you know, talk to the Department of Defense a little bit is, what you know, that, you know, 
DOD is sort of I would, fair to say out front on a lot of this stuff. Do you see convergence where civilian agencies? Um, I know it's a focus of DHS too. It's a, and I'm not. I'm just thinking more general c- civilian agents. Do you see a convergence where you know they're the civilian agencies? You know. You know, some of what DOD had done is eventually going to be implemented in oh, the yes. FAR and that sort of thing? Yes. I, I see us merging our processes together to adopt the best possible solutions. Certainly uh, the missions that we support will vary somewhat and what we buy will drive some of those decisions. But generally speaking, there's a lot that we can learn from what DOD has already done. There's a lot that we can learn from what DHS has already done as well as in the intelligence community. And it's about bringing all those pieces together and then working with industry as well because industry is impacted by this just oh, as Oh, absolutely. Much as we are. Yeah, it's ubiquitous. It's Ex- everywhere. Exactly. It's, and it's, it's everything, everywhere. too. It's not just anything that plugs into a network. You it can got be it. medical equipment. It can be anything. Exactly. Right? So, so, yeah, so it's about bringing it all together and promoting a more consistent and effective approach and helping each other out through the process. And so, Sarai, now we got about a minute left. So, I wanted to um, sort of give you a, a, a last shot at, you know, I know one of your favorite topics is leadership and lessons learned and what's mm-hmm. core to quality leadership um, and just, you know, what do you think is the, is when you think about how am I going to lead the, you know, my organization today, what, what's the keys to have quality leadership? What's the one thing you, that comes to mind? Courage. <laughs> I That's always a good use, one. Actually. Yeah, I Very always come good. up with courage because I think it does take a great deal of courage um, to, to ask people to do things differently and to try to help them understand why it's important to do things differently and to give them that support. And it takes a lot of courage to be willing to say, I will accept failure. I will learn to adopt that failure and learn from it. Um, I also emphasize communication. Um, You hear me say that. I think it is important for people to know what their leaders are thinking, what their leaders are working on, and more importantly, how their leaders affect them. And then the other thing that I always tell acquisition leaders, we have to be willing to collaborate and cooperate with others. We have to work across the space. We can't live in our little silos. we got to reach into those other organizations, learn what they're doing, to help them understand what we're doing, and constantly bring information back to our organization. But courage is the first thing that I always tell everybody. It takes a lot of courage to be a leader, especially in government, because it is it is a hard place to work. You know, you're, you're constantly But you have four Cs clients. there, right? The four Cs of Collaboration, leadership. Collaboration, communication, cooperation, and what did I miss one? Courage. There you uh, go. Yeah. Those are the four Cs. And right. it goes with Correa, my last name. No, <laughs> well, um, at that note, Soraya, we have to end the show. Uh, Roger, thank I wish you could do another segment. Um, but we'll, you'll be back on. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I want to thank my guest today. Soraya Correa. She is a Chief Procurement Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on the Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, 
my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.